As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Let's get right to it right now. Michael Wilson, without question, the top strategist we have observed for last year, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Morgan Stanley. Mike, I want to go to technique here. Do you change your technique, your day-to-day grind at Morgan Stanley? And the classic idea is, are you bottom-up, top-down, all this? There's the factor analysis out of MIT years ago. What is the process of Wilson's strategy for this year? Well, good morning, Tom, and Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, I mean, uh, the process never changes, okay? Um, We do all of those things you mentioned, top-down, bottoms-up, factor analysis. However, what I would say is that at certain times, we emphasize, you know, one over the other. And I would say that, you know, going into 2023, it's probably going to be a little bit more bottoms-up, a little bit more dispersion uh, Mm -hmm. among stocks, even, even perhaps within sectors. We're doing a lot of work on that this week, actually, uh, for next week's note with respect to, okay, well, how are we going to make money on a relative value basis? And and that started to emerge again a little bit at the end of last year, because at the end of these bear markets, what happens is the big kahunas, right, the big market cap leaders are the ones that eventually have to fall. And that's exactly what we're seeing this year at the end of last year. So we think there is going to be opportunity at the stock level. And we've been talking about that since. Where's the greatest variability? The partial differential on the income statement is revenue the greater mystery, or do you go down to EBITDA or down to net income? No, that's a great question, Tom. It's it's all about profitability, and we've been talking about this one factor really since January, February. Operational efficiency. That's what the market's paying for, and it continues to pay up for companies that can basically deliver to the bottom line. All right, so. Revenue growth, we know, is going to be softer than last year. Um, We don't know if it's going to be negative because that ties into the question around recession, which you all were just debating. I think being a bond investor is harder than being a stock investor right now because being a bond investor, you don't know if you're going to get a labor cycle. Okay, but in the equity market, we don't we don't really care because if you don't get a labor cycle, then the margins are going to be even worse. So I think either way, we're going to get a nasty earnings recession. And so the companies that can deliver on the cost efficiency are the ones that are going to continue to perform until you fully price, you know, whatever this downturn on earnings are going to be. So, Mike, are we starting to see that cuts, those cuts emerge in big tech? And does that make you a little bit more constructive on the sector into 23? Well, not yet. Uh, I mean, we're starting to see it. Uh, I think the, you know, the, look, this is one of the areas, I would say consumer, consumer goods in particular, and tech were the two areas of most egregious over-earning and uh, margins as well as top line. And that just has to get wrung out. The thing that concerns me about tech companies, John, is that they're not good cost cutters traditionally, right? They're, they're growth companies. They tend to want to invest into these downturns. They, t- they want to invest you know, aggressively through all periods of time. And they're just not good at cost cutting. And so they're going to be late on that. They're probably not going to do enough. 
And so it'll take longer than you think. And so the margin degradation can be more severe in those areas. Now, there are parts of tech that have already gone through that. The other thing I would say is be careful about how you define tech, right? If you look at the top six or seven stocks in the S&P, we all know what they are. Only two of them are real tech companies. The other ones are communication services and consumer retail. Mike, how has the potential reopening of China changed your view? Because you've been talking about the potential for an earnings downturn for a while now, and a lot has changed in the past couple of weeks with respect to China, with respect to a warmer-than-expected winter. You know, I, I mean, look, it, it factors into our analysis for sure from an economic standpoint. I think from an earnings standpoint, it's less important, though, Lisa, because we, you know, we look at this carefully. China only accounts for about 4% of S&P revenue. So it's just not that significant. Now, for some companies, it's very significant. Um, the other thing I would caution on is that, you know, China really hasn't been closed from a production standpoint, right? I mean, we haven't wanted for many things. I mean, we've been, they've been produced, they've been doing these rolling lockdowns, and the factories have been pretty wide open, quite frankly. So this is more about consumption at the, at the, at the you know, domestic level. So I think it's a real positive for the Chinese stock market and certain pockets of that. That's where we upgraded China a few months ago. Uh, but I'm not sure it's a big deal for the U.S. stock market. But what about with consumer spending? We've seen that hang in there. That's come out better than expected, at least over the past uh, number of weeks in select industries. Does that make you change your view at all? Or is that basically uh, what's to be expected in the last gasps for the downturn that we see in the first quarter? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think we're just seeing the last gas, as you mentioned. I mean, part of that is holiday spend, okay? So, you know, it's the American way. We don't want to be Scrooge. People are going to spend money on the holidays, and I think they're going to probably hunker down. We've heard some cons large consumer retailers talk about that dynamic where they expect uh, demand to fall off sharply once the holiday season is over. So that's what we're going to be watching carefully. Um, we're pretty confident about interest rate sensitive areas like housing and autos. Those are pretty obvious, uh, you know, victims of the higher rates. But I think even broader speaking, we're expecting a pretty sharp downturn in consumption over the first uh, six months of this year, at least for, as, a stand, as a stance in terms of profitable spending. Okay, Discounting will return. That's one of our themes for this year, which is why we think inflation will come down pretty sharply. So, Mike, with that in mind, do you and the team still believe there's about 20 percent of downside at the index level here? We do. We think uh, we think three thousand is a is a very achievable number, uh, given our you know confidence on our earnings forecast. And so, and that you know I would ironically I would say in the absence of you know a recession, meaning companies decide to not lay off aggressively, that target uh, looks more achievable. That may sound counterintuitive, but that's the way we're modeling it today. So our bear case is actually kind of we avoid a recession, but not the slowdown. Right. Uh, that would be the 3000 scenario and $180 in earnings. My, my quote from last year was from the great Nassim Taleb, who said the gravity's back, the idea that money costs something, the risk-free rate's there. To me, my theme for the year is the great zombie roll-up. Not the companies Morgan Stanley follows, but all the garbage companies out there that had a 15, 16-year free ride. What happens to them in 2023? Well, I think it's already begun. I mean, we've seen what's going on, right? Uh, when the cost of capital goes up, these business models flat out don't work. Um, and so we've had 15 years of easy monetary policy globally. Um, that's, that is now being normalized in a more rapid way than anybody expected, including us, quite frankly, even though we had that view a year ago. And that's just going to run ramshot over these business models. And by the way, Tom, I'm not sure it's a bad thing if we can do it in a way that isn't too destructive, okay, to the broader economy. We need it. 
we need a normalization of the cost of capital because it's not healthy for the broader economy. Yeah. It's not healthy yeah. for five companies to account for 25% of the market cap, which is what happened in the last 10 years. We need a more uh, democratic economy where you know medium, small-sized businesses have a fighting chance, and the cost of capital rising, ironically, is, is part of that. It's amazing. Discipline makes a comeback. Mike, <clears throat> wonderful, as always, buddy. Happy New Year to you and the team. Looking forward to plenty of coverage through 2023. Mike Wilson there of Morgan Stanley. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Jordan Rochester, huge value to Bloomberg Surveillance last year, and he starts strong this year with us as well. Jordan, I'm going to cut to the chase. The first thing I looked at was ADXY, the Pacific Rim, but I want to bring it over to your insight on Euro uh, as well. Is the weak dollar trend intact, led by strong Euro? Well, yesterday, Tom, and Happy New Year, everybody, it was a pretty tough day for that year long. Uh, we saw a big move, over 1%, much bigger than a normal January move uh, for euro. In fact, it's been similar uh, to the entire monthly move of, of euro in January in previous years. It just tells you that volatility was alive last year, and it's still alive in the first few trading days of this year. Low liquidity, people dusting off their holiday emails, and also putting fresh capital to work. And as you mentioned, there was that negative seasonality. So a 64% hit ratio since 1980, euro dollar has headed lower on average around 1.3%. So we're currently betting on the 36% uh, historical chance that euro goes higher for a number of reasons. The first one was proven today, which is I think the European growth data, it's going to point towards recession. But it's not going to be as bad as what people think. We had the PMIs revised up this morning for the euro area. And I think the reopening in China will really help boost the euro area economy as well. As, as, as we're also seeing gas prices, natural gas, electricity prices, much lower with the warmer weather. The ski season has been awful, but that's been fantastic for industry, looking at much lower levels of input costs and therefore boosting production. So we're having a, a growth story. And then yesterday was the weird one. We had the Northwest wine um, German numbers. That's that signaled that German CPI would come in weak. We've now had the French numbers suggesting the same. So we'll get euro inflation later this week. It's going to be weaker than what was previously thought. That kind of means the ECB, super hawkish in December, that did boost euros slightly. Perhaps they won't need to be as hawkish as what, as what the market thinks this year is the message from the inflation data. Just one data point, uh, and the growth numbers might offset that. But there's, there's two factors going on here. Growth up, inflation down. That revises up your real GDP estimate for the euro area in some respects. And therefore, I think euro can stay supported in January. How much does your 110 target by the end of January hinge on the weather? 
Uh, well, the weather's already baked in. Uh, so October, November, and we had that cold snap in December, but now we're back into a warm snap. So we've already got this, the story of Germany having having blackouts. That's kind of gone to the side. So it's unlikely that we'll run out of gas. Next winter could be a, a bigger problem. But what we have seen is that Germany has just switched to coal burning. Um, and so that has really allowed for the gas story to weaken as a problem for Euro. So yes, if some amazing blizzard came came along, that could be a factor for industry. But I, I just I don't see it in the forecast right now. Jordan, where's the ECB fit into this call? It's been a tough one to use an ECB view and put that directly onto euro. It's been quite frivolous, actually, if you kept doing that last year, because we're trading a stagflation story when it comes to frameworks for foreign exchange. So ECB, yes, they'll be hawkish, um, and that will boost European yields. We're already seeing portfolio inflows into European government bonds for the first time in a long time. So that's going to boost euro. I think on the ECB side, by raising rates, that's going to knock growth, though. So those two forces offset each other probably. I guess, John, we could just bring it all back to the Fed. Uh, if, if the Fed pauses, as we think they will, and if they look to cut rates later this year, which we think they will as well, that'll keep your dollar supported no matter what the ECB do. You, you can't see this on radio. Is he wearing an Astavilla tie just to harass I actually him? think he might be. I think he might be. I think it's an Astavilla tie. I might be, guys. Morning. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. He actually is. This is too much. With, with the team emblem on as well. <laughs> it's just bad form. Why, why am I wearing a tie, John? Can you remind us all? Well, you, t- you, t- you tell me. I, I well, watched the highlights of the Tots Aston Villa game. Is Aston Villa that good or is Tottenham that bad, Jordan? Help me. A mixture of the two. It's been one of the worst runs for Tottenham in the league since 1988. Uh, you conceded more than two goals in each game for seven games in a row. That hasn't been done since 1988. For Villa, we've got a new manager and things look to be on the up. We've had a good start. We should do a podcast with Jordan. We should. We should never just mind, do. Never mind foreign exchange. You know, yeah, I, I like it. Jordan Rochester, thank you. Yeah, Over tomorrow. Your briefing today on oil and coal. Emery Descent joins us, Director of Research Energy Aspects. Of course, they're looking at all of the different hydrocarbons, including uh, the grizzly uh, coal. I'm going to look, Emery, right now at how coal links into oil. Is there a substitution effect if Germany uses coal, if China uses coal? Does that adjust Brent crude price? No, no, Tom. Uh, thankfully not. That'd be yet another variable. Of course, it imp- uh, impacts gas uh, hugely. And yeah, look, when we've had gas prices surge, uh, we have seen in Europe, for instance, coal usage go up a lot. And at the margin, we've obviously seen oil usage go up right. a lot as well. But no, there isn't any direct link simply because, you know, oil is barely used in power generation. these Is days. the Emeritusen microeconomics in place for oil to surge? People talking about brand 80. 90, 100, dare I say, higher as well. Is that set up in place here at the beginning of the year? I'd say the beginning of the year, no, but I really do think the second half of the year, and particularly if China opens up in the way we are, you know, now we are kind of hearing headlines from them uh, around the reopening scale, uh, we've tended to forget what we saw in the West, right? It took us two years to get over the pent-up demand in terms of airline uh, travel, in terms of car travels or the mileage driven that we've seen. And I keep saying this, particularly for jet, it's a multiplier effect. Uh, 
um, when China reopens, other parts of the world will also, you know, people from other parts of the world will also want to go to China. And China is so connected to the rest of Asia, uh, be it Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Philippines, all these countries, they have huge trade relationships with China, 25 to 30% tourism uh, or just petrochemical exports linked to China. So we are going to see some big demand numbers. The problem now, Tom, is that we've seen these big freeze-offs in the US, and that's meant that the crude balance has actually weakened. We've seen so many refineries having to forcefully shut down because of the cold. That's lost us crude demand. So that's why we are on a softer footing. Uh, and it's and you know then it kind of turns into seasonal turnaround season. So it's a few more weeks of softness, I would think. Amrita, forgive the pun, but what's the canary in the coal mine when it comes to the reopening of China, given the fact that there are a whole host of different mm. energy uh, sources not playing the tabletop, I know, is kind of a terrible pun. But you know, what source of energy will we see the first pickup in demand that will represent the next phase of China's reopening and the effect on energy markets? That's a great question because, like, in you guys were saying this just now as well. When China does reopen, they will need all energy products, right? It's not just going to be oil. Uh, you know, oil stocks aren't particularly high, so we should see them come out and buy crude oil. Probably, if not this cycle, definitely from next cycle onwards, they are going to need coal and gas as well. So I would genuinely say all three of those, I think metals, you've already seen them buy. If anything, I think energy or energy imports should outperform the other commodities because right now, with the reopening, the focus shifts back to consumers, which is kind of, again, goes directly into energy consumption as opposed to metals, which was more infrastructure driven. That happened last year. Some people push back and they say, well, China spent the past couple of years stockpiling crude, stockpiling energy sources, and they're not going to need an excess in uh, supplies, even if they do reopen in full, at least not for a very long time. Do you have any sense, Amrita, of how significant those stockpiles of energy sources are in China? Absolutely. Look, we track uh, stockpiles in China to our best ability on a daily basis. And I think this is a big misnomer. Let's talk about oil, for instance. Uh, China's oil stocks have been rising, for sure. Uh, but over the course of last year, they've been drawing down stocks on a consistent basis. China was importing barely 9 million barrels per day instead of 11 million barrels per day. So that stockpiling took place in 2020, 2021, not last year. We've de in enough in China for them to be at a high, the level that they require for their days of cover, right. where now as they reopen, they do need to buy again. I've got Emery to send. I've got LNG moving here, moving there. Javier Blas of Bloomberg out with analysis of LNG in Japan today as well. Just a simple question with all your expertise. Is the United States energy independent? It's definitely more independent than it used to be. Uh, look, the U.S. still imports some oil. Um, and simply that's to do with location, the ability of certain refiners to run certain crudes. Uh, but look, yes, I mean, it's exporting natural gas now. Uh, it does export well over 3 million barrels per day of crude right now. There's still global linkages, right? So that's where I don't like to use the word independence because Brent crude is still the biggest driver of the gasoline that you are buying at the pump. Right. So it's not an island. And therefore, yes, it's independent in the sense that it's exporting a lot more products. It's still a net importer of certain products. But at the end of the day, the global linkages haven't broken down just because of the way the refining system is set up. Just quickly, Amrita, 
best guess for where you think crude's going to end up? City at Q4.23 has crude at 76. I've got Goldman at 110. I've got other banks with triple digits as well. Where are you at? I'd be triple digits as well. And I think, again, people are underestimating China's reopening and the multiplier effect on demand. Again, basic 101 economics that it's going to have on the world economy. Yes, bad news for inflation, uh, but it is definitely something to watch out for. And Rita Sen, thank you, of Energy Aspects, with another triple digit crude call, Tom, for year end 2023. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. We get further perspective from Greg Vellier, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF. Greg, I randomly looked at the 20 names of these Congress people against Mr. McCarthy, I guess against a lot of what we would call political normality. One of the Congress people, the gentleman from, I believe, the 9th District, Georgia, called the Capitol attack of January, quote, no insurrection, quote, a normal tourist visit. As Butch Cassidy said, who are these guys? Yeah, you're right, Tom. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I have never seen anything as crazy as this story with a handful of extreme members of the House denying the Republicans control of the House. And this could go on for a long, long time. Mr. Trump says it should not go along for a long time. John read his truth, like the social media thing. Close the deal, take the victory, said the president. Could that be enough to sway them today? It might. There's talk that uh, a lot of Republicans are going to Sean Hannity and going to uh, other conservative commentators uh, to see if they can dissuade these uh, rebels. Not sure it's going to work. I think this drags on for weeks. What about the voters? I mean, is there a sense that this is what people want? That's sort of just, you know, break things up or destroy the status quo, start something new? Is that basically the voters will behind some of these representatives? Not really. I mean, it's a self-inflicted wound by the uh, Republicans. I don't think the voters 
would be pleased to see this kind of dysfunction. You know, for the markets right now, Lisa, I, I don't sense that this is the biggest story. There are biggest stories, as you know, on the Fed, things like that. But if this drags well into the spring, people are going to start worrying about the debt ceiling, about a, a credit uh, crunch, uh, about some sort of default of the U.S. budget. If this drags on, I think it will start to become an irritant for the markets. So, Greg, let's stay there because I've been talking about this this morning and my co-host have thought that I was being a bit histrionic. How serious could it get? What are the sort of parallels here between what we're seeing with the Republican Congress? They're laughing at me. And 2011, when we did see a debt default, we did, or not debt default, but we did see the downgrade and the debt ceiling debate really go to the last minute. Well, most of these dissenters who don't like McCarthy want this to happen. They would like to see a, uh, a debt crisis. So that's that's something you've got to be concerned about. You know, another important point is that, let's say Kevin McCarthy does win. Four or five or six House members in the next two years could scuttle everything. They have him on such a short leash that on a lot of these issues, they can still prevail. Wait, hold on a second, Greg. Why do they want to see a debt ceiling scuttle? Oh, because it will curb uh, spending. I mean, they, they feel that is the only way you can get discipline on spending. They're furious at Mitch McConnell, who's going with Joe Biden today to uh, a new bridge construction, spending a lot of money. Uh, th there's huge divisions over spending money. And re some Republicans, a minority, uh, granted, uh, wouldn't mind seeing a, a debt default credit crisis, which I think is crazy. Greg, the historical moment, it goes back to AUH2O, it goes back to the Democrat Lester Maddox and on and on. I don't want to do a history lesson here, but the reality is there's ramifications to this behavior. Does it make centrist Democrats stronger? Absolutely. And it weakens the Republicans. I mean, there were some pretty decent, whatever your politics were. Paul Ryan was a quality House Speaker. John Boehner was a quality House Speaker. They, their careers were scuttled by a minority, a tiny minority of radicals who didn't want to compromise in the least. Greg Vandiever of HF Investments on the latest okay. down in Washington, D.C. Greg, thank you, sir. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.